time for our kids to leave us for Kids Church with their leaders, so thank you guys. Yesterday afternoon I had the, the privilege in um, speaking at the service of in, induction, the installation of uh, Kevin Cooper at the Belmont Bible Fellowship near Newcastle. So that was a good time as well as he begins his ministry there with his family. Now, the, one of the challenges that we, that we face as, as Christians is, is to know how far do we push our, the freedoms that we have. So, so this morning we're going to look at freedom from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Having grown up in a Christian home, that's, that's me, certainly has had its benefits not that these benefits were immediately apparent at the time. This is because there was this gnawing feeling that I was, all my friends were having fun and I was missing out on something. That they had more fun on the outside because their parents weren't as strict on them. And my parents were not the overly protective type who isolated me from the world. But they certainly indicated quite forcefully at times what was acceptable behaviour and what wasn't. When I went to church, I was also reminded by others, I was the pastor's son, of what was acceptable behaviour and what wasn't. You are the pastor's son, you should, you know... Because even though my, my parents had, had a set of guidelines, at church different people had slightly different and many times more stringent set of guidelines. You know what I'm talking about. So when it came to Sunday school and youth group and camps, the usual discussion was, is this or is that okay for a Christian? Not just a young person, but a Christian. Total. So you open the Bible and on most issues the Bible is very definite on what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not. Things like murder, adultery, homosexuality, lying, hate, forgiveness, respecting your parents, they're spelt out in in, in black and white. These are not disputable matters. The problem lies, however, in those grey areas where some have problems with them, others don't. And some of these have sparked plenty of debate in the past and some still do today. Some people struggle with television and movies or what is acceptable and what isn't. Some struggle with it's appropriate for Christians to drink alcohol or not. Some feel that it is sinful for a woman to wear makeup. What is appropriate dress to wear and should women wear jeans or not? For some, dancing is a sin. Can I mow my lawns on Sunday? Should we have a Christmas tree? And what about Santa? get really controversial. What about Halloween Day? 
You see, the New Testament is, is, is mostly silent on a lot of these issues because we're separated 2,000 years, right? But it leaves room for us to gather the principles from Scripture and then apply it to our current situation. It's, it's in, in college, it used to be called Christian ethics. How do I apply the Scriptures to my everyday life in the decisions that I make? And it leaves room for us to figure it out, not just on our own, but under the Holy Spirit's guidance, based upon his word. Some of us apply the rule that most of society runs by, which is, my freedom stops where yours begins. Or another way to put it is, I am free to do anything I please, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. You've heard that one, right? In theory, it sounds okay, but in practice, it is a mess. This, let me give you one example, which was fairly recent. Uh, This was sorely tested during COVID, during the pandemic, when neighbours were encouraged by the the police minister, they were encouraged to dob in each other's neighbours if they weren't complying with the lockdown laws. And so you can just imagine, right, just peering through the window. Oh, look at him. What's he doing? How many people in the party? One, two, three, four. And they're not even wearing a mask. So they, they get on the phone. Now just imagine, right, comes Christmas, come Christmas party and they're having their Christmas barbecue, street barbecue in the cul-de-sac. How friendly do you think that barbecue is going to be after all the dobbins and everything else, right? It doesn't sort of build the the communal spirit. This is Neighbourhood Watch on steroids. Remember the old Neighbourhood Watch program? It's okay, but now... For the Christian, the passage before us is one of those ones most used when it comes to the issue of Christian liberty and freedom. The other one is Romans chapter 14. But we're going to concentrate on this one. The background to this is that the church in Corinth was, was facing a lot of issues. It was one of the most complicated churches that the Apostle Paul had founded. And long after he left Corinth, the issues just continued. Why? Because Corinth was a very pagan city. They had a lot of freedoms when they lived as pagans. And, and a lot of these issues weren't automatically resolved the moment that they became Christians. They still had a lot of questions, what was right and what was wrong. So they sent questions to the Apostle Paul by letter or by people and so that he would then answer each topic, he would answer in a letter and therefore this is how we got this letter of 1 Corinthians and to Corinthians because he's answering issues that they raised. In the previous chapter, chapter 7, he, he's, he's, he's talking about the issues of immorality and singleness and marriage. And here they are asking whether it's okay to eat meat or food that had been offered to idols. This general issue applies to us as well. It's not just something 
was for them. But how do we then draw that lesson and apply it today? It is the issue of how exercising my Christian liberty affects others. Is it just about me? Or do I also have to care about my brother and sister? So in determining how free we are free to be, there are three important areas that we need to look at. Three areas. The first one is, it's fairly simple, look inside. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. Let me read it again. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs, puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, this is when he gets to answering their question. So then, about food and sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us... There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. That is a very, very important statement for us as believers. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. If you want to know what the purpose of your Christian life is, it's right there. Before you do anything else, this should always be the starting point. You need to take a a good, hard look at yourself. And there are three specific areas that are mentioned that we need to look at. Within the three, there are another three here, just in this first point. First of all, the issue of knowledge. This issue of knowledge the Apostle Paul has already tackled in the first three chapters. And now he returns to it. We know, he says, we know that we all possess knowledge. And then he says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. In other words, you seem to know a lot, but don't think you know it all. Knowledge on its own can be a dangerous thing. This is because while knowledge is essential, it is not sufficient. It is the the human tendency to put too much trust in what we know or what we think we know. Have you considered the possibility that you might be wrong? That you're that somebody else might have a point. That is why our text says that knowledge, knowledge puffs up. It puffs up. Something that is puffed up doesn't have a lot of substance in the middle. It's just sort of blown up. It gives you a big head, but having a big head doesn't necessarily mean that your head is full or something. It could just be just empty, right? You become proud. Puffed up, you can't fit through the door because your head is so big. That is why our text says knowledge puffs up. Albert Einstein said, any fool can know the point is to understand. 
Just because you know something doesn't mean you really understand it. For example, I can find the ingredients to make the dough, the pizza base, for the pizza base, right? Everybody knows who has ever tried to make pizza that the starting point, or I know you can buy at a supermarket, all this, but what if you want to make, have a go at making the, the base yourself? Well, I got the ingredients from the, right, from the internet, YouTube is my, uh, my teacher. Um, I used to watch mum do it, right? Seemed pretty, didn't seem that complicated, really. Follow the instructions, put it in the oven. This is just a pizza base, right? We're not talking about the toppings or anything. I look at inside the oven and this thing is blown up like this inside the oven, right? Whoa! I better get the fire extinguisher. This thing's going to blow up here, right? And then at one point, it's all sort of the flights again. Well, there goes that pizza base, isn't it? It's pretty good. <laughs> so, it looked easy when mum was doing it. But the thing is that, and I, I think I used pretty much the same ingredients that mum. It's not all that complicated, right? Flour, bit of yeast. Problem was the yeast, right? And there's the process. Anyway, you ladies know all about this. Let's not be sexist. Okay, boys know about it too. All right. <laughs> My mother knew she had the knowledge, but she also had the touch. What's the touch? The understanding. The feel. The feel of it. You guys know what I'm talking about. How it all comes together, how it fits together. So it wasn't just a puff. It, was, it had substance to it. And then you see the end result and you taste it and I'll say, wow, yes. So knowledge is important. That's the first thing. The other part is love. Love is the foundation of our relationship with God and the essential building block of a healthy life. Paul will later in 1 Corinthians, devote a whole chapter to love, which is chapter 13, the supremacy of love. But here in verse 3, he says, whoever loves God is known by God. And we love God because he first loved us. And because of this, we will love other people. God initiated the love relationship with us and it's only as we accept this love that we give ourselves to others in love. Do you love Jesus? Well, how do you know if you love Jesus? Is it this warm and fuzzy feeling inside you get when you sing Amazing Grace? You might have the same fuzzy feeling when you hear Stairway to Heaven. How do you know? There is a better test for our love for God. The test of obedience. There's that word again. 
You do what he wants you to do. 1 John 5.3 says, This is love for God to obey his commands. How do you know you love God? You listen and do what he says. If you really love Jesus, that love will be shown in how you live for him and how you forgive others. Now, I'm going to read that knowledge, love, belief. I like, I'm going to read the, the message translation here. It's a, a, not a literal translation, but a, a different translation that says this. Some people say quite rightly that idols have no actual existence, that there is nothing to them, that, that there is no God other than our one God, that no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshipped, they still don't add up to anything but a tall story. That's the understanding for that passage there when he talks about gods and lords and all that. Yes, many people have, have read the scriptures and have gained knowledge. They, they, they read about the teachings and examples of love and the history and might even be inspired by what they read. In the Sermon on the Mount, for example. But this doesn't necessarily mean that they start believing and trusting God. Any more than they read Lord of the Rings. Right? It's just a novel. I don't know, it could be factual or not. For us, however, the Bible, the scriptures, this is our doctrine, this is our theology, this is part and the foundation of our belief system. At the core of this belief is what the Bible says, that there is only one true God and all the others claiming deity are simply false. In fact, the prophets mock a lot of the idol worshippers and how they carry on. So idols are simply symbols or representations of these no-gods. They exist. They are given the, the power and the fear by the heathen worshippers. And not in reality because they really represent nothing. But people prefer idols and gods. Why? Because they can choose which one to follow according to the inclinations of their heart. So if you like conflict, if you like war, you're going to go and worship the god of war. There's a lot to choose from. They've got him in Scandinavia, they've got him in Hinduism. If you like sex and all of that, then you're going to choose something else. If you like alcohol, you're going to choose another one. Every, there's, there's, there's a God for everything, every proclivity of the heart. Because ultimately those gods will mould themselves to you. But in the scriptures, we have to be moulded by God, 
to adjust, to question everything according to our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is harder for me to understand is when so-called believers who call themselves Christians twist and turn the scriptures and stretch it to, to the points that they use the scriptures, the Bible, to justify, to try and justify the inclinations of their own hearts. There's a story of a man who had been a Christian for several years and he told a pastor that his, his favourite form of relaxation was smoking pot, marijuana. The pastor said, do you see a, a contradiction between the scripture and smoking a joint? And the man said, no, in fact the scriptures allow it. And the pastor replied, well how do you see that? And he said, Genesis 1.29. God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And now the pastor says, well, it says for food. You smoke marijuana, don't you? You don't eat it. And then the man says, ah, but you haven't tasted my brownies. So there is this, there is this clear right, case of incorrect theological application, understanding. So the next point in verses 7 to 11 is, is that we need to look around. We need to look around. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as, as having been sacrificed to a god and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we don't eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So after taking a long look at ourselves, looking within, then we start looking out. We start considering others. And this is a this is a really, goes against the very grain of our society. This goes against the current of our society. Reason being that not everyone is in the same place in their knowledge of the truth as you are. And the church being a family has Christians that are young, Christians that are old, Christians that are mature and Christians that are immature. And that's not necessarily related to how old you are or how many years you've been coming to church. So in these verses, Paul tries to, to make the point that our liberty in Christ must be tempered by our love for one another. And, and these Christians struggle with, with the issues stemming from their past life when, 
and the conscience because of their association with idols in the past. Every new contact triggered the memory of this former connection, this past life that they lived when they, they lived this debauched life, sacrificing to, to the gods and to the idols. And, and so this phrase here says that some people are still so accustomed to, refers to the old habits that are hard to break. And Paul calls it a weakness. And he's going to make the point that the weakness of a brother or sister must be lovingly considered in all of our relationships. Was it wrong for a Christian to eat meat sacrificed to a pagan god? Is it wrong for a Christian to go and buy bread from a bread shop when you know there's a statue of a Buddha there with in the corner of your shop. You know what I'm talking about. And was it right for a Christian who had no qualms about eating that meat to eat in the presence of someone who did have issues with it? How free was he free to be? You know the song, It's My Life. It's now or never, right? I'm not going to care about anybody else. I'm going to do what I want. That's the good Christian attitude to have. Brilliant. And you hear it. And you hear it and I'm saying, this is the world speaking. This is not the Bible speaking. The scripture teaches that knowing the truth sets us free. But understanding the truth comes with time and experience. You get the feel, you get the touch, you you get to understand how all this fits together. And new Christians need time to mature and to grow in their knowledge and understanding. And, and, And we need to take into account the fact that others may not be where we are in our walk with God. And when it comes to questionable things, we need to consider the situation of others. We have to. And we need to be careful that our behaviour does not become a stumbling block. That's the word, a stumbling block, something they trip over for those who are weaker. Now, Paul is not talking here about the religious prejudices of some older Christians who walk with the Lord for many years, who should have known better. He's not talking about annoyances or cultural disagreements. I have met so many so-called weaker brothers who have been Christians for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and quickly wrongly apply this passage to themselves. I feel like saying, grow up. The length of time you've been coming to church doesn't mean that you have actually grown in all that time. They all had their views on issues that, to me, really weren't issues. To me, 
it seems that somewhere along the line they got off at the wrong station and forgot to continue the journey, the journey towards heaven. They're fixed in the little box. And here, what we are asked to do is to put ourselves in another person's shoes to see things from his or her point of view. If we have true love, we will give thoughtless on our right. Our actions affect those around us. We're going to focus a lot less on our rights and, and, and endeavour then to learn to see things from their perspective, to let them explain to us how they see it. Start talking and then address the issue in a pastoral way or in a more mature way. Lastly, look up. Look within, look without and look up. This is verses 12 to 13. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So our final consideration is is Christ. You see, when you sin against your brothers, you sin against the Lord himself. This takes it to another level, the seriousness to another level. Beyond myself, beyond the brother, it's now about Jesus himself. So if you force your freedom onto a weaker brother, you not only undermine his Christian growth, you're violating the body of Christ, which is a serious matter. Such an offence against the weaker Christian is against the Lord Jesus who lives inside that brother. So above all things, we need to consider what will glorify him. We need to consider what will please him rather than displease him. So if eating pork makes my brother stumble, I will not eat pork in front of him lest I make him stumble. And I'm certainly... I'm not going to boast about, oh, I've got no problem at all eating pork. It's great. Ham, bacon, all of that. But if I know you're struggling with it, no, just don't go there. I know you have your freedom and all of that, but please. Of course, Once I know, I need to know if it offends you. If I don't know and it's done out of innocence, then obviously it's it's another matter. So I should be willing to restrain my freedom for your benefit. In our culture, I think that eating food sacrificed to idols isn't a big issue. In fact, most of most of the things we eat today is like you know got the stamp of halal and this and that. Goodness gracious, if we go and have to go through the supermarket and check everything, that there's a very little selection that will be available to us. But there are other freedoms that we should approach with caution in order not to cause our weaker brothers and sisters 
to stumble. So we need to allow God to shape our convictions. So as you can see, the Christian life, if you haven't understood it by now, is not a private matter. Yes, it is between you and God. But in the context of fellow believers. This is where we exercise our faith and live it out. There are things I don't do that I could do. Places I don't go that I could go within my freedom in Christ. I could say and sing, I don't care. But in reality, guess what? I do care. And I know, you know, anger is sometimes just blurted out. I don't care. Well, let's just say and repent of that and say it's not a really a very Christian attitude, is it? And notice that the, Paul, that the Apostle Paul uses the word brother four times in the last three verses. Brother, 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 brother. So it's important for us to consider this. The real issue behind all of this, as I conclude, is what is it that ultimately motivates us? What controls the way you live? Are you controlled by your own desires to get what you want, no matter what? Or are you controlled by a higher desire, deeper motivation, the desire to please our Lord and Saviour and walk in the love that he has called us to walk in? I hope and pray that all of us will put on the mind of Christ on these and many other matters. Let me leave you with the, with the words of the Apostle Paul a couple of chapters later from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen.